The following is a production of Entertainment Rating Services. Son, you know your father was a rigger, a rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be. Hey everybody, and welcome to Shackles, Burlap, and Lies, episode four. Today we have a very exciting guest. We are going to talk to Meredith Mosley Bennett, who is the ETCP certification manager for ESTA. She is in charge of the ETCP certification program. So welcome, Meredith. How are you doing today? I am great. Uh, I have been working remotely in Glen Ridge, New Jersey since all of this started, uh, but uh, most of the time I work remotely anyway because uh, I can log in. Uh, but it's a gorgeous day and Bill the cat is here with me and we're just going right along. Excellent. So... Uh, the question I start with everybody is, who are you? Ah, well, uh, first of all, I am a mom to a very precocious eight-and-a-half-year-old. Um, and uh, what I do for a living is I have been with ETCP for 13 years. Uh, I started in 2007 in February, and I actually came in to interview with Lori Rubenstein for the marketing and membership manager job. And right. uh, Frances Thompson was in town. She's now the ESTA membership manager. And uh, we, I came in the office and uh, the zipper uh, my coat was stuck and it was freezing outside, so I had to embarrassingly step out of my coat. But uh, so Francis says, uh, how do you feel about roadies? And I said, huh? And uh, Lori said that they were going to throw me a curveball, that they had a certification program that certified riggers and entertainment electricians because that's what we had back then and um they asked me how i would feel about taking on that job and i knew nothing about certification but uh i knew a bit about marketing and when i sat down at that desk i basically had one handbook each and the applications so then I had a four-page stapled-together document that told me how to submit candidates and uh, where to buy swag and where to order the, the pins and patches. So back then, we had 327 folks that were certified, and most of those came from the first class that you were in, Ethan. Yep, um, 2005. 2005, yeah. yep. No, November of 2005. Yep. yep. And uh, all of those people in that class 
there were about 200 in the first class. They will turn uh, 15. So they will uh, be recertifying for a third time. Yep. So uh, it's it's an exciting but strange year. Um, but before I came to ETCP, I was a costume designer. Uh, I worked in, um, well, most recently I was Tony Danza's wardrobe stylist for his talk show. And uh, then uh, before that, I was in Texas and I did film and I taught at Baylor University for a year. That was interesting. Um, and then uh, I came to New York, but I, I had a costume company in Austin with some friends uh, that were from the movie business. And we did that for about five years. But uh, I, I went from going, working as a firsthand at the Dallas Theater Center in the costume shop to uh, three days later working for Walker, Texas Ranger as their wardrobe supervisor. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done. So so you've met Chuck Norris? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I know, I know all of the Chuck secrets, but I am sworn to secrecy. So, yes. Could... could could you reach out to Chuck and see if he could kick coronavirus to the curb? You know, I already I mean, did. And he said it's even too big for him, Ethan. Wow. Yeah. That's rough. Uh, but he is encouraging everyone to wash their hands and wear masks and uh, do all of the things that will keep you safe and healthy. That was the message I got from Chuck Norris. That is a very good message. And yes. people should pay attention because if they don't, Chuck Norris is going to show up on your doorstep and make sure that you start following it. Yes. Do, do you know how many I of those Chuck Norris, if I were Chuck Norris, blah, 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 memes I get from family and friends? Uh, I can only imagine. Yeah. It, All it, the time. It stopped, I was going to say it stopped being funny, huh? Yeah, about 10 years ago. So, um, but yeah, so Ethan, when did I recruit you as a subject matter expert? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was about six years ago, roughly. Yeah, I think um, so. I, I had done the first uh, rigging test, both arena and theater. Right. Uh, back in 2005, um, I had been working for a, a regional lighting company at the time and had been focusing on learning more about rigging myself um, and then eventually applied for and, and was able to take the, the first tests. Um, so what made you do it with that first group? Because you were you were one of the younger ones, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, funny story is when I did the theater test, I was sitting right next to uh, Mike Sapsis, and that scared the crap out of me because I was I was already questioning my qualifications to be sitting to take the test. But 
Um, part of it was a, a personal challenge. Um, but the other part was, you know, what started the process for me learning more about rigging was, first of all, I'm a gearhead. So I like the technical side of the industry. Oh, I know and, you're so cute. Yeah. And I was, I was working for this lighting company and we had some experienced riggers, but when I would ask questions about things, I wasn't getting real answers. And so I said, Hey, you know what? We're kind of just throwing this stuff in, up in the air based on best known practices, which if you talk to Steve Edelman, that's a term that lawyers hate. It really doesn't yeah. mean anything. So I started educate, getting more education. Now I had done rigging throughout my career. I had gone and I have a degree in performing arts uh, design technology from Emerson College. So I've done rigging, but then I started taking uh, more rigging classes for arena-based stuff. So mountain productions or Tomcat U, uh, Jane Harry's uh, rigging seminars class that I used to run uh, and getting more education and then using that in the field. And when the uh, certification program was announced, I said, hey, I'd be curious to see A, if I qualified and B, could I pass these tests? So there was part of that in the personal challenge and there was the part of helping to build the business I was working with. We were very, you know, the company had a family feel. So sure. given the opportunity to say, hey, you think this can help us grow the business? Let's do that. And they would invest uh, in the employees. So it was a good situation in that regard. Well, it's good um, that they saw value in that that early too. Oh, absolutely. And if uh, and we'll take this chance to, to mention, um, there are some very active social media, particularly Facebook uh, groups for the ETCP program. Um, there's one for certified technicians, and there's actually one for uh, a study group, which is for those who are looking to take the test. Um, well, so the, it, the ETCP yeah. one is yep. more for general information about ETCP. Right. Um, and uh, the ETCP study group is more geared towards, you know, those who are interested in testing. I also encourage every certified technician to join that group if they're not, because it's, well, for one thing, I, you know, it, it it's great to learn something new every day and you might see something you don't know, but as more of a support group, the ETCP study, study group has kind of become our hub in our social media hub. Uh, and it's a great place to network. It's a great place to, uh, we also have a mentorship program there that not yep. many people have taken advantage of. Did you ever, did anybody I, ever sign up to be I your mentor? I did. I did. I, I actually had a, did you get a person? I did. I, I had a, uh, a young gentleman who turns out we had some uh, mutual acquaintances oh. and he was just looking for a little guidance on certain uh, topics. Um, 
I think sometimes people get uh, a little concerned about certain subjects on the test that they don't have as much confidence in. Like and math. So the mentor <laughs> program, right, will um, allow them to ask questions with an experienced uh, certified technician and get some input. And um, I thought it was great. It was great on both sides. It was great for me. Um, obviously, I spent a lot of my time doing trainings, um, so it was fairly you know, organic for me. Um, but I thought it was a, an awesome resource. And you had mentioned about, you know, the study group being a great support system. It's really formed its its own community um, that people can check in on each other and, and, and have, especially at this time where we're not seeing each other in person, allows for some interaction. And, and so it's been wonderful. Um, well, even the even the other day, uh, I was uh, working on woohoo forms because I'm trying to get everything uh, online, right? So if I never ever see another PDF in my lifetime through this program, that will make me a very happy woman. Um, but. Uh, the other day I was having trouble with a form and, and I've been teaching myself how to do this. And so my husband walked in and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm about to pull my hair out. And he said, why don't you reach out to that group of 4,000 people and ask yeah. someone for help? Right. He said, there's gotta be one person that will, uh, you know, that knows how to help and has the time to do it. And uh, because this program's much bigger than it was when I started. Uh, so I did a shout out. Are there any Wufu experts? And uh, I got three different texts. <laughs> and awesome. uh, then Dan Ayers and I spent time on the phone. And so not only were we chatting back and forth, you know, it, it was fun to collaborate with somebody. Yeah. Um, like you and I often do about projects. And so it, it's, it's been interesting to find the workaround for all of this. Yep. I know you and I talked about that the other day and how our family yeah, well, is dealing with it and, and new, new challenges require new thought and new uh, solutions. So uh, having a resource that, allows you to develop those solutions has been very helpful. Well, I just want it to be a safe space. Uh, yep. And I mean, not only a place for learning, but, you know, but a community, it, you know, it's not, I mean, it's great that we've got great content coming because I, you know, I've been really working on, um, and I, I just don't know of any better term than study meet. But that right. just, doesn't, you know, but there has to be substance there, right? Absolutely. It, so so one of the recent things that you've been doing with Dave Carmack um, of his new company, uh, Dave Carmack Consulting, Dave is arguably the most knowledgeable person about electric chain hoists in the industry. Oh, for sure. Teaching, teaching for 41 years. Um is a wonderful person, has a, a great personality, and is a, a phenomenal instructor. 
um, you guys have been doing a series of questions. What every day is a new question? Yeah, or yeah, new, a question. Twenty yeah. hours. Yep. Um, and and uh, I started posting them. I was at first, oh, I'll post these every day at seven. Um, but then people started getting a little too reliable because we're counting a leaderboard, right? I've got a leaderboard going. Right. And um, people were getting a little too consistent because they would just sit there and wait. So I felt like we had to change up the rules a little bit. So, right. uh, you know, so I'm posting the question uh, anywhere from like 10 a.m. to 12 a.m. So people have to right. set up notifications to know. Um, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to hear who's in the lead? Sure. Okay. It's very, it's very, uh, top secret, but I'll, I'll tell you, we're going to, we're going to release it now. Uh, this is the leaderboard as of today. Can I say that, that we're recording this? Yeah, no, that's, that's we're we're recording this on Wednesday, the 13th of uh, May and this episode is gonna um, is gonna drop on Tuesday the nineteenth of May. So yes, and we do we do have something exciting to announce at the end of the podcast. We but this do. Exciting news is Philip Fleming is in the lead. He's the ETSP certified. And then Stephanie Wild, ETCP certified, is uh, is second with three. So Philip Fleming has four. Stephanie has three. Robert Dean has two. And Brooke Nichols has two. So competition is tight. And what it is, is I uh, make a hash mark with the first three people to answer it correctly. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, they go on the leaderboard. Um, but it was funny because, oh, gosh, what was the first question? Um, somebody answered paperweight. And yes. because I'm a costume yeah. designer, you know which question that was? It, so the question, and I'm paraphrasing, was... Um, when is it appropriate or is it ever appropriate to use a single hoist for suspension? Roughly one years. I can't remember. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the first I'm person. Gonna, I'm going to use this machine in front of me to see if I can find the answer. Yeah. Well, the first person answered paperweight. And I was like, gosh darn it, people take this seriously. And then I, then I read the question again and I went, oh, that's right. You know, so sometimes, uh, uh, right? So here's the qu day one, question number one. What do you call it when a motor operates differently than what is indicated on the pickle? And the answer, the, 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 the response was paperweight. Oh, no, no, no. That's the wrong question. Okay, well, we'll move on and I'll find it and tell you. But... But the point is, is that I'm having to, uh, everyone is so witty. Uh, and I love that about this business that, you know, I, 
I there are times I have to decipher what somebody I, meant, you know, whether I, I I can confess that one of the questions uh, was um, what could some of the possibilities of two hoists running at different speeds be? And I responded that the squirrels inside of one of the hoists were drunk. Um, hence, they were not working as hard as possible. So there, there are some entertainment value uh, answers to these questions. But there yes. are some. And I think we're, I think really we should do like a, a top 10 answers at the end. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we've got it. No, but Dave, Dave has been great. He and I were talking one day and, and I said, Okay, so I'm trying to think of, of great study meet for the ETCP group, and you are the the dude, and we've been friends for a long time and kind of talk outside of ETCP, but uh, he, he said, I said, do you think you could write a new hoist question for every day of uh, quarantine? And he said, girl, I could write a question a day for the next 12 years and never, ever give you the same question. And I said, well, Dave, let's start off with quarantine. <laughs> Why don't you yep. give me 15 questions? We'll, we'll hope that that's all we have. But I think he's going he's gonna to owe me more questions for sure. Well, even after quarantine, I, you know. I'm sure we can still ask questions and, and exactly. To, well, that's what, that's what I told him. Uh, you know, I said, right. just be ready. Cause people like this, these series, you might be stuck with it forever. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about the certification program itself. Yes. Um, we had mentioned it started, uh, or the first tests were administered in 2005. Um, some of the common questions that people will ask are, um, how do you, how do you get to be certified? What is the process to sit, to take this exam that we've been talking about? Well, um, you have to, as of today, you have to fill out a PDF online and email it to us. Uh, please, whether you're recertifying or, uh, retaking or, Please, please don't mail them in. Uh, we're having a difficult time with the mail service because everything's being rerouted to to Brooklyn to our office manager's apartment. Right. Um, so be sure and email anything uh, that you have to send in and no checks. But uh, right now you go to our website. And there is a get certified button and uh, you can go to each area and choose which exam you want to find more about, whether it's uh, arena rigging, theater rigging, those are in one section and uh, or entertainment electrician or the relatively new portable power distribution technician. So all of the application materials are there, your educational resources, 
the content outline, I say make that your very best friend. Uh, and we can yep. get further into that. Uh, but the exam, you have to qualify to sit for the exam. The uh, arena, theater, and entertainment electrician are 30 points. So that turns into basically, uh, we have a chart, but you get one point per hour of work experience. I mean, one, one point per hundred hours. And then uh, you also can get hours for internships or apprenticeships. If you have an undergraduate degree in entertainment technology or associate's degree, as long as, uh, or graduate degree, as long as it's from an accredited institution, uh, you have to receive a degree at the end. We don't do partial credit. Um, and so you apply and, uh, we look at your eligibility and your employment sheet. And Ethan, have you found a lot of people get freaked out by that employment sheet? I, yes. Uh, A common question I get when I'm doing trainings is, um, you know, what, how, how are they going to verify this? What, what, you know, right. How, how do I track this? And, and my answer is usually that, um, you know, it's not like we're doing a background check when you apply. We're not hiring the FBI to go and talk with every single person you've ever worked with to make sure that you're, you know, are telling the exact truth. We don't have the resources to be able to do that. However, I know that when I applied for the test, um, they called my supervisor at my office and asked, had I been employed there for the last 10 years? Right. Um, you know, I freely admit. So when I applied, I used a combination of my uh, available points for my degrees mm-hmm. as well as work experience. And it basically came down to, did I do four hours of rigging a week every week for the last 10 years of my career? Is, right. is one of the ways I could break it down. And I think what people get stuck on is that when we, and we're talking about the rigging exams, did you do some form of rigging? Well, if you're on the electrics crew for a, a corporate gig and you're bolting the truss together and putting the span sets on, that's rigging. Right. You know, it's not that you were climbing the high steel and hanging the points. So, you put you put the information down, and if there are questions, Meredith reaches out. She'll she'll ask questions. Um, and I should mention that that Meredith and the entire office staff are there to assist people to get this process done. It it is not as intimidating as I think some people build it up to be. So the work experience it's it's valuable, and I'll I'll say as someone who works on creating questions for the test, we often debate the, the, the balance of work experience and knowledge. And, and what we're looking for is someone who has both. It's not biased in either direction. There's a balance there. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I tell people basically to 
ballpark their experience. Um, and please do not send me your payroll stubs. Uh, I've gotten 52 pages worth of pay, you know, like complete right. front and back pay stubs. Don't send me that, please. Uh, what I want is for you to look at the content outline uh, because that's everything that's on the examination that you're taking. So if you're doing that type of work, then uh, it counts as experience. Now, if you have 30 points of experience as a ground rigger, you still, you're eligible, right? But we, will you pass the exam? I don't know, because that, uh, the, the tests are very comprehensive, especially the electrical. And so they just want to make sure that uh, everybody is, uh, that they have the experience because it's not, oh, can I tell you a quick thing about the application? Certainly, you um, can. So you mentioned our our friend Jake Glarum earlier, and I I miss him so much. Um, but he came to me uh, the well the last time that uh, that I saw him. I think it was USITT. But he asked me if we could go have a seat and asked me to grab a piece of paper. And so I did, and I went over and we, he had grabbed an application and uh, was looking through it. And he said, nowhere on here does it say that people should understand the ANSI standards. You need to check right. that. And he kissed me on the forehead and he said, that's my dying wish to you, my friend. And I said, oh, stop it. Stop. And uh, but he and I went through the application together. And uh, so all of the check boxes that you see now on the uh, the last, not the last page of the application, but the next to last is because Jay Glarum wanted to make sure that everybody understood what they were signing up for when they when they wanted to take the exam, when they were filling right. out the application. Um, he also, you know, wanted us to spell out that they have to, uh, by filling out this application, they agreed to abide by the code of ethics and, pro, you know, professional conduct. So, yep. you know, I, I definitely, if I have questions about an application, I go to the employer or uh, if it's, you know, if I have questions, I go back to the person uh, who's applying. But, uh, but all of those things are really, impo it really important. Um, you know, all of those check boxes about, uh, you know, just that, you know, you agree that you're the candidate who appears below, you know, we, we had all of that in a paragraph, but, uh, but Jay said, no, spell it out. So right. 
people have to check that they understand about the construction of and use of wire rope ladders, uh, you know, ANSI 1.2, uh, aluminum truss, counterweight rigging systems, powered hoist, um, and all of those uh, ANSI standards are listed on the educational resources on the website. Yeah. I think one of the um, one of the things that potential candidates get overwhelmed with is um, all of this knowledge that they're supposed to have. There was a little misconception about the certification process when it first started that it was never intended to be that every single rigger becomes certified. It was intended that the top tier of riggers be certified. So whether that's the head rigger of a venue or the tour rigger on a tour or the technical director for your space, um, it very quickly became this idea that, oh, everybody's supposed to be certified, um, which then created no. this concern of, well, not everybody knows all this information. Well. It, of course not. You know, there's not a single person who knows everything, but it's intended to be for that upper, upper tier of experience, whether it's the rigging or the electrical or the power distribution. Um, well, for team electrician and the, the riggers, it's top third. But I will right. offer that there are, uh, there are some employers... Uh, not just Bill Sapsis, there are others who insist that all of their ETCP, I mean, all of their technicians become certified and here, and right. here's what they say about that. And I'm, I'm not saying that everyone should be certified. I'm saying, here's what the employers have to say. And one of these was a big employer in Vegas. Uh, they said that uh, what they do is so important every day that, uh, yes, absolutely, the leads and supervisors should be certified, but that he wants every single person on his crew to be certified because he wants to be sure that each of them have the skills and knowledge to do the job that he's entrusted them. So there is a flip side to that. And really it's up to each employer to make that decision. Um, right. But it, I mean, if you're a freelancer, for sure, it's a great marketing tool for yourself. Uh, all of the ETCP certified people are, uh, listed on our website. You can do a search. Uh, one word of caution when you're searching for someone, don't put in too much information. Our search doesn't like that. You know, just yep. try it first with the name and then see what you come up with. But, um, yeah, it, it, it just, it shows that, uh, people have, well, and you talk about Steve Edelman, um, due diligence. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. About so, uh, we have certified people. Yep. So 
Steve Edelman is the vice president of the Event Safety Alliance and is an attorney. Um, and he does a lot of presentations talking about certain uh, topics. And one of the common things he'll mention is uh, standard of care and uh, in people's responsibility to act reasonably um, in a given situation. And so one of the things that the certification program, any certification program does is it helps establish a certain baseline of knowledge and experience. Um, it doesn't guarantee anything. Usually no. how I refer to it, it people is um, OSHA has two definitions of competent and qualified person, which we've talked about in previous podcasts, in that having a certification may go to proving in an incident investigation, it may go to prove to OSHA that you were indeed a qualified person to be making certain decisions, um, which then ties to the, um, the aspect of what is the difference between a certificate and a certification and why, um, why is the ETCP program more, uh, how do I want to say it, more recognized than a, a quote-unquote certification that you can get at some course that you take and then you complete and you get a quote as again i'm doing this on purpose quote unquote certification um sure there there are uh there are courses out there well you know where they'll say you know yes you're getting an industry certification um but that's not actually true when you get a certificate that means that you sat in a class for a certain amount of time and you know you may have taken a test to at the end of the class they may have certain specifications about you know whether or not you get the what you have to uh how many you have to get right to get their certificate but a certification is uh, a more well-rounded, uh, modeled after NOCA, which is the National Organization of Accreditation Association, I think. Um, and there are certain benchmarks that we have to hit, like a panel of subject matter, matter experts. Uh, we have to, uh, we have to be, ours have to be awarded by a third party. Uh, we couldn't say, here, come to my office and take this test and I can say you're certified. Uh, so the person that's issuing the certification uh, cannot give the test. Um, right. So it, that's it, another it, difference. Right. It removes bias so that the uh, the examination, the process has um, can withstand the rigors of a challenge to say. Um, yes. It, you know, uh, oversimplified. I can't write the test. I can't decide arbitrarily what the passing is and then say you're sort of I can say it, but it doesn't mean anything. 
And, and what Steve would say is that none of it means anything until you appear in front of a judge or jury, because ultimately they're going to decide the results of the reason you're in front of them in the first place. Um, well, sure. yeah. Well, and while we were talking, I looked up uh, because a number of years ago, early on, gosh, when was that? 2010, maybe? We started getting questions about liability. And, uh, and I don't want so to get certified because it will make me more liable. They're going to yes. expect what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. Instead of pretending. Yes. So uh, the IATSE, the IATSE, uh, their their legal counsel looked into it, and uh, and he wrote a response that uh, that says the question has been raised as to whether ETSP certification is. Uh, certification actually increases a rigor's potential exposure to legal claims for injuries and damages. It appears that there is a significant undercurrent of opinion that getting the certification actually increases a rigor's liability exposure. There's no legal basis for this belief. Certification should actually decrease a rigor's liability exposure. So, um, you know, basically he's saying, that uh, you know, it would it would have to be shown in court whether they are negligent, um, right. and it would uh, really, you know, they're hold to they're held to the same standard whether or not they're certified. It doesn't it doesn't make a difference. So he goes on to say that. Uh, that standard is the industry standard that is established in a civil trial by the testimony of witness familiar with industry industry practice. So uh, it exists independent of the training and credentials of the rigor whose actions are being called into question by a civil claim. So uh, I think really, uh, you know, that for the most part has been uh, people are understanding that it doesn't make you more liable, but do you right. still hear that out and about? Not as often. Not as often. Um, I think that was part of the paper tiger argument early on about, um, no, a, a famous quote is I don't need a test to tell me how to rig. And that usually would come from uh, individuals had been, had a wealth of knowledge and experience, um, but were maybe intimidated by the test, maybe concerned about whether or not they would uh, pass the test. Oh, sure. Um, Fear is a, is a big one. But do you know what, Ethan, after, after 13 years uh, in this job, the, I, I finally waited it out so long that these people are starting to retire. Yeah. Well, so, it, they're not telling me anymore <laughs> that um, you know, who am I to tell them that they have to test. And, and there's some, there's some good information that we should share about the, the process. So you apply, you get accepted to take the test. Currently, as of today, the fee is 
I don't want to make 50 for non-members, but if you're a member of uh, any of our council member organizations, ASTA, USATT, IAVM, IATSE, CIT, uh, Infocom, uh, USITT. So you do, you have some choices there. So if you are, uh, if you are as a company or individual, a member of one of those, or your employer is, then you can qualify for the hundred dollar discount. Yep. So then it becomes five fifty. You pay your fee. You get accepted. Um, you you take the test. If you pass, you get your certification, and it's good for five years. Um, so it's not like you're paying that five fifty every year. Um, and then at the end of that five years, you have to renew your certification. That's another important thing about the difference between a certificate and a certification is you have to qualify to take the test, you have to pass the test, and then you have to renew your certification periodically. So for ETCP, it's five years. Um, right. And you don't have to take the test again. Um, I don't Why think I know anybody personally. That? There are so many right? people that think that. You could. You could if you wanted to. If you really were determined that you wanted to take it again to get a better score, you could. I don't know why you would put yourself through that stress. Well, but, and if you if you take it to replace, because the only thing it does is uh, replace the work experience. It won't replace right. the educational experience. Right. So, so if you let it lapse, then uh, then and you want to just retake the exam, just you know you lost your. They, you know, you you lose your lower number too. Right. Your lower certification number, and yep. it, amazingly enough, people are very, very attached to those lower. It's a source of pride. I I I, and it's funny. So, uh, this is way in the weeds, but the first group of tests takers back in 2005, the first two tests that were administered were arena and theater rigging. Um, and they were done paper and pencil in Orlando at USI, at uh, LDI. And um, the numbers were assigned alphabetically uh, to the people yeah. who passed that course. So my number is 0048. And I do take great pride in the fact that I have a lower number than certain individuals. Oh, it doesn't well, mean anything. You know, you know, who's 007. Yes, it would be, um, uh, Bart, uh, Bar um, Dana Bartholomew. Dana. Yeah. The, the, the name is right there. Yep. Um, he's, he's never letting go of zero zero seven. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I would pay him money to try to get that number. Well, you Dana, know what? I, Dana, if you ever listen to this, let's talk. I mean, financial negotiations. Can no, happen. you can't. It's not like buying a website, Ethan. You can't buy someone's number. But uh, okay. I do have a, uh, a special number that I just gave to someone yesterday. And I gave her the number 4077. 
even though uh, it's a higher number than what you know, where we are in the numbering system. Right. Uh, her name is Jamie Nicholas, and she is with Vertigo. Um, yes. And she was the first person to test at a center since all this started. That's correct. So that brings up a good topic. So um, to this point, or until she took her exam, um, a lot of testing centers were closed. Um, and through your effort, we were able to establish that uh, ETCP certified technicians were uh, essential workers and that uh, candidates yeah. should receive the right to take the uh, test because we're seeing a lot of uh, people in our industry. Uh, I think one of the, the things that we should get credit for in the industry is we do adapt very well and very quickly. Oh, there so, is no other, there isn't, I don't think there's any other uh, industry that adapts more easily than maybe, I don't know. Can you think of anything else? Medical. I think that's the only thing where you're sure. talking life and death, but sure. um, you know, we deal uh, when you're in a show environment and something goes wrong, you have to fix it. You have to do it quickly. You have to do it safely. And the audience can never know. Um, yeah. And so we adapt and we overcome pretty uh, well. So that was a, a great movement in that people could still sign up to take the exams. Now, there's going to be certain restrictions, like whether or not you can find a testing facility that is open because of um, maybe geographic hotspots with... Um, well, and that's that's what I did with PSI is we we determined test locations available to us by the following. We uh, we went by uh, those areas hit hardest, uh, those areas of the nation, uh, and also uh, I got from IATSE the states that they were targeting for field hospital implementation. Right. Um, because local eight and uh, proof productions were, uh, they were amazing. They re they reconfigured and redesigned the template hospital. That is usually, uh, you know, it, I mean, they said that it, it had been the same design since, Oh, like the Vietnam War or something. Uh, that the designs hadn't changed and they're they're static, right? So right. you know you have a you have a structure and a tent or whatever, uh, and uh, there's not much flexibility. And one thing we were talking about with that is that, uh, you know, we just have no idea what's happening with this disease how many people will there be uh and so the field hospitals have had to adapt well they found a way to they hooked up the lighting system to the uh to a board uh they uh i think well they were talking about it and i think they did implement putting in gopros in the grid 
so they could uh, move them and watch each patient so it wouldn't take as many healthcare workers at a time on right. a ship. Uh, but also just lighting changes. Like, you know how awful it is when you walk in an arena and, it, and it's just the, the work lights? Yeah. So yeah. That's, what, that's what people are recovering to. But now they can recover to a nice soft blue. What's your favorite gel color? Not the most relaxing. I don't know, you're a rigger, so you might not know. But, uh, yeah, so they can change the lighting in one area. So... Uh, so the people who are recovering can rest. It doesn't make you feel like you're in a convention center or a tent or some other place yeah. that, you know, it, 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 I think people underestimate the mental health side of recovering from infection, that uh, attitude and good mental health is uh, as important for recovery as the physical ailment. Oh, it's huge. Well, you know, when I, um, I had to have my neck operated on in January and I was at the Langone Center in Manhattan. And uh, when they wheeled me into the operating room, there were 10 television screens of different sizes all over mm -hmm. the room. And they were, there were fish swimming everywhere. And yeah, I was high. But I wasn't, you know, I mean, I did ask the uh, the surgeon's assistant if there were indeed TV screens with fish on them. And right. she explained that, uh, well, and they piped in beautiful, calming music, too. Yeah. And uh, she told me that they, uh, Langone is, is doing the study about how much your environment and your surroundings like that, what you see, what you hear, what you smell too, but that's a whole different story. But uh, she said that they've been implementing this because it not only relaxes the patient, but it relaxes the people working on the patient as well. Yep. It keeps everyone's stress manageable. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that sort of thing, you know, and they can also with the big LED screens, that's, is that right? LED screens, sure. you know, like you see at trade shows, yep. uh, you know, but they can, they can project like the, you know, the different, uh, areas of the arena or even focus on a patient and have it up on a screen. That's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, we are, we've been gathering names, uh, of people and, uh, we, I'm trying to find out more about where those names are going to go. And, uh, IATSE said to send them and they would notify everyone of how they can help. But there's just, there's so many projects out there that are just amazing. Absolutely. Um, one of the questions that comes up on uh, Facebook groups quite often is um, people want to know what the pass fail rate is on a given test. And um, 
it's not that cut and dry. It's not, uh, you know, 75% or above and you pass and 74 and below you don't. We're going to talk about how the, the grading of the tests works. Oh, Ethan, I thought you were my friend. Why do you ask <laughs> me this question? Um, yes. Okay. So, uh, as an SME, you're, you're familiar with that each question counts one point, right? Yeah, uh, and how many, how many questions are on a test? There, uh, there's a baseline of 150 and then every candidate has to answer the, uh, 15 additional pretest items because those are items that PSI must get statistical analysis from (coughs) to be able to put them into the exam. Yep, they're they're new questions that are being tested out to see how they perform. Yes, and please please don't complain to me because uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't do it. Uh, We you know. Uh, it is standard in certification, and I've been assured by PSI that the the 165 questions in three hours is more than enough time because I had them go back and look at the average amount of time people are finishing the exam. So we do get we do get some people who say, you know, oh, you know, I just I got overwhelmed and I couldn't finish. Well, you know, to those people, I say, you know, it's a great uh, it's a great tool for. Yeah, it's five hundred and fifty dollars. But the you know, or six fifty. But the retake fee is two twenty five or one seventy five to depending on your membership. And so that they did that, the council did that for a reason, because sometimes your test anxiety is so much that it will affect how you're timing yourself. Um, And so they didn't want to make it 550 a pop. They wanted, you know, they wanted to make sure that the retake fees were reasonable to understand that, you know, that people have problems with, te- with test anxiety. Right. But, exactly. Uh, yeah. But that's one reason why in 2009, uh, we implemented the practice exams. And yep. uh, so did you, were you a, an SME then? Did you have that no. pleasure? No, I, I did not. Uh, I was not involved in that process. The second um, round. But- Oh, the second set of questions, I think, maybe. But we so we have two sets of questions for arena, theater, and entertainment electrician. And we have uh, one set of questions for portable power. And they're all available for $40 on our website. You're going to be taken to PSI. And there you'll have to create a login uh, purchase the exam and then they send you a link and it's good for 90 days as long as you don't hit finish. Uh, but the, I recommend for the, for the practice exams 
that the first time people take it, they set a clock, you know, a timer for an hour and just sit down and just answer the questions. And then you get a score report at the end. And then if you, you know, if you don't feel confident, you can buy the other one and you can labor over that one for 90 days. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So back to the, the original question of the pass fail for. I was trying to get out of. Who are you, Barbara Walters? What is this? <laughs> Everybody can read a very fascinating article that I wrote. Uh, I was trying to find it, but our our server is down. But it's in, in uh, protocol, it, which is yes. the uh, oh, you found it already. I I haven't found it, but protocol is the quarterly publication of the technical standards program for ESTA. Um, and is uh, got a lot of good information, a lot of technical information. Uh, but as you were saying, you wrote a wonderful art- article talking about um, the Engoff, how- modified Engoff method. Um, um, and basically, the premise is that uh, there should be a different passing score for each of the forms that are created. Uh, Our psychometricians were very careful when they put together uh, the test forms because the questions, some people think they're weighted. They're not. They're, They're one point per answer, but you might have a passing score of 96 on this exam, but you might have a passing score of 114 on a different test form. It varies because the psychometricians go through the content outline, and if there are things that the subject matter experts deem as life or death, for instance, or, you know, And there also have to be a certain number of questions from each area of the content outline. So uh, my answer is uh, you need somewhere between 93 points and 114, I think, to pass the exam, depending on which form you get. Which form you get and, and which questions are on that form. Um, Correct. So uh, I would tell people, quite frankly, the, the exam is it's, it is challenging, but um, it is not insurmountable. Um, oh, it is multiple choice, which is something that for people who have never looked into it, um, it's multiple choice. And for people like me, you're giving me the answer. If I can't go, if I don't know what the answer is to start, I can reverse engineer it. So that, you know, again, for myself. Yeah, but you helps. know, a lot of people are not, are not that way. Well, and a lot of people have not taken an exam in a really long time. Really yep. Um, I mean, I haven't taken an exam since uh, the I took the GRE 
and that was that was a while ago. As um, as, a sub, as a subject matter expert, and I believe I can say this without violating my agreement, um, we we take the exam occasionally to say we're yeah. not graded on it. I got anxiety doing that, so yeah. it's that's a common thing for all all of us, but. Um, there are a lot of good resources out there to help you not only prepare for the specific content and in the uh, handbooks that Meredith alluded to earlier, it tells you how many questions are in each subject area. Uh, so for the rigging, it might say, you know, uh, planning and layout is 50 questions or math is X number of questions. Um, so you can use that to kind of say, hey, I, I need to spend more time studying information on this section. I'm really comfortable in that. There's the practice exams. There are courses that people offer, not only for the, the subject matter, but you can actually take courses for how to take tests better so that you feel more comfortable taking the exam. Um, which led me to a quick point of another question that will come up often is I took uh, XYZ manufacturers training class and they said something about getting ETCP credit. Can I use those no. to take the test no. the first time? No. Correct. Correct. Uh, you, you win. Yeah. Well, that that's why earlier I said that, uh, the only education that counts is uh, for uh, from an accredited institution, your degree. That's the only kind of education that counts initially. So any course that you've taken is tremendous for your brain and your prep. And also, if you guys don't know there is so much free training right now so much um if you're if you're just sitting around take advantage of that because um you know i've i've never seen these sort of opportunities before um which leads me to why do we have recognized training uh recognized training is not like Ethan said, for people studying for the exam. Or shall I say, it's not specifically directed to people studying for the exam. But these resources are terrific if you're studying for the exam. Um, we have to, as a certifying body, we have to stay one step away from training. Uh, it was okay for us to do the practice exams because they were created by our testing company. Uh, you know, and you get a score report much like you do when you take the exam. But renewal credits are for those who are certified who have to get the 10 points of educational credits to recertify. So that's what our recognized program is. And it, it's really exciting. We, we've got uh, you know, almost 100 recognized trainers now. Uh, and then uh, I think when we, 
when I counted the other day, we have uh, 19 recognized training programs okay. across the board and rigging, electrical, and portable power. So when um, you have your certification and after five years you go to renew, you uh, and, and at least for the rigging, because I don't have the information yeah. in the back of my head for the other exams, but you need 40 points to renew your certification. Yes. 30 of them, like the original time, can be experience or work experience, I should say. But 10 of those points, a minimum of 10, has to be from continuing education. Because it goes back to what I said earlier, finding a balance. A recognized trainer or program, you get one point per hour of training, um, which leads to the question of, what if I take an OSHA 10 course? Does that count towards renewal? It depends. So if it's the uh, new course that, well, relatively new, uh, that is uh, has been created by the IOT Training Trust, their OSHA 10 is geared more towards um, the... Uh, entertainment electric, I mean, the entertainment technician instead of a general construction. So uh, that there's our 10 points um, because, you know, they're taught by ETCP recognized trainers. Um, OSHA 10 in general uh, is, uh, I believe, 10 points, but or, or five points. No, I think it's five points. I need to go back. Oh, it's OSHA 30. That's right. Because Nevada started requiring everyone to have OSHA 30. So the council decided, you know, that would be good for 10 points. So it it depends. Right. The, the, The point being is that an unrecognized course of a, of content that might apply to our industry will be half a point per hour versus a recognized program is one point per hour. So it's more efficient for you. And the idea is we want, we hope that you would get education that's going to be uh, something you can apply to your your work life. Right. Um, and I we have, we have quite a few uh, double and triple certified people. Um, last year, I think it was, or or year before, I went to the council and asked if, so say someone has uh, a rigging arena and entertainment electrician certification, because they're kind of a jack of all trades and they they do it all. So uh, before they they would have to have 20 points of education uh, to recertify. But now they just have to have the 10 points as long as the five years cross each other. Uh, right. As long as they're getting education every five years. But then, but they do have to record separate electrical and separate rigging experience like you do on the original application. Right. And you can also... Um for your renewal credits for electricals, um, you could take a rigging course from a certified or a recognized, sorry, very careful, a recognized instructor 
Um, and that will count towards your electrical recertification. Um, yeah. So there's some opportunities. At, um, my brain, his name is Richard Kadena, and I have often talked about wanting to run classes together where we swap students for a few hours and he teaches electrical to the rigors and I teach basic oh, rigging fun. Um, to get people information from specific experts. Um, so you've, uh, you've applied to take the test, you get accepted, you pay your fee. What are the options for taking the test currently? Well, you have one year to sit for the exam. And you would be very surprised at the number of people who pay that uh, five fifty or six fifty and just never go in and test. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's astounding. Like the the window uh, expires. Oh, now is a very good time to mention uh, some extensions, if that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, because of. Uh, the pandemic, uh, we've gone through and uh, identified certificates and candidates that need to be extended because of the circumstances. So uh, if you, if your recertification was due between uh, March 1st and August 1st of 2020, then you have until November 1st of 2020, you've automatically been extended. But right. we do ask if you go and fill out that uh, grace period form, it helps us just know who's taking the grace period and who who doesn't need to. Who's just not renewing in Right. Yep. Yeah. So it just, it saves us time, uh, this little ETCP time uh, team from us, you know, having to chase people down. But uh, so you have one year to sit for the exam. And then uh, if you don't take it within that one year uh, and you expire, then you have to go to the, you have to send us an email. Uh, appeal to ask for extra time. Uh, sometimes the appeals committee feel uh, generous and sometimes they don't. Yeah, they're, they're two uh, retired professors on this committee. And so they have heard every excuse in the book. So they're, they're tricky. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and the same goes for recertification. If you, uh, find yourself uh, in a situation that prevented you from either getting your renewal credit, which I have to say out loud, nobody has an excuse right now. Right. So much, you know what I There's mean? You and I were talking so about that. many opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they can apply for an appeal uh, just to say what's going on. I have a special situation, you know, could I be allowed to renew or do I have to retake the test? Um, so once someone takes the exam, they either pass or they, they do not quite make it, right? We don't want to say the F word. Uh, 
And so the people who pass get a certification number. They go on our website. They get a pen, a pin, a patch, uh, stickers, an ID card. If they upload their picture to our new ETCP information portal, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, and uh, their certificate. Did I say that? ID and certificate. ID so certificate. right now, of course, our ID machine is locked in our office in New York City. So we're keeping a list of people who will need IDs and certificates once this is over. Uh, I, I'm contemplating a, a rescue mission to just go grab it, but my husband says it's not worth going to New York City for the ID machine. And, and for anyone who's concerned about, you know, things start turning around, we're able to work more, um, you get offered a job that requires you to be ETCP certified, but you don't have your ID or certificate yet, that employer can go onto the website and find your name and verify you that way. So you do have some options to to prove that you've passed and are indeed. Well, certified. and you could even have them email me directly or call me directly or whatever. We can verify. Right. Because uh, we're we're here to to help you guys and gals. Um, but yeah, so. If, uh, if you don't pass, then you can take the test two more times within two years. The reason for that is that uh, they don't want people taking the test too many times too close, you know, too close together. Right. Uh, if you don't pass within those three tries, within that, you know, that two year period, then, uh, then you do have to wait one year to reapply. Right. I would guess that that is fairly rare. It is. It is. Uh, it's less rare now than it used to be. Um, but you, oh, we also, uh, you have to be 21 or older to, apply for the exam. Um, we, a few years ago, speaking of Richard Kadena, we, uh, <laughs> he had a kid that was, uh, you know, really smart kid, homeschooled. Uh, and then the kid's mom called me to ask if he could get certified. And he was like 14, I think. Wow. But, in a year, I mean, with the with the professional experience that he had, he would have he would have made it in a year. Right. And so I went to the council and I said, uh, "We need an age limit. We definitely need it, you know, because." But as you go along with a certification program, there there are things that you just don't you don't know that you need until something comes up, either a policy or a check or a balance or, you know, sometimes you just don't know. So it's been, it's been really interesting to see the evolution of it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are, what are the methods for taking the test currently? Are we, are we ready to go there? Let's do it. 
So we, really? we, we we had talked we had talked about we have an announcement. We have some breaking news. So starting on the nineteenth of May, ETCP candidates will be able to take the test via live online proctoring. So you will have options. You can either go, I mean, where the things are now, you will have an option when you apply uh, with us and then when you check in with PSI to take the test at your home uh, or in your office, as long as you have a quiet area where you can test. Um, So you will have this exciting option. I have been asked for at least the last five years when we're going to offer online testing. But the council uh, looked at the packet from PSI. We'll be testing through their PSI bridge. And it it is like uh, kind of Mission Impossible kind of testing. They scan your ID through the camera. They scan your face through the camera to match it with the ID. And then they, uh, they do a room scan. So you have to make sure you're, you know, you've picked up your laundry, you know, cause they'll see it. But, um, (laughs) uh, but do what? They're making sure not hiding anybody under your desk or under the exactly. sofa. Exactly. So uh, here's how they explained it to me. And uh, and what I went through when I did the beta testing is they do the check-in process. Uh, you have to do a room scan, you know, which means you're showing them with your computer your whole space. So there's not someone behind the, you know, there's not a Cyrano somewhere right. um, whispering the answers. Um, and so they they check you in face-to-face, so you'll see the proctor's face. But then when you're ready to start the exam, their face goes into a, a chat window, right? So they're not, because I said to our account manager, I said, okay, so is somebody going to be watching Brady Bunch style up in the corner? Is that what we're doing here? And I said, because that would make me nervous. And she said, no, that uh, that that goes to a chat window. So if a candidate has any problems or uh, needs to communicate with the proctor, they can. Um, I right. will tell you that uh there are suspicious behaviors. Like if you leaned far to the left or far to the, they would flag you and stop the exam. So the council, after reading through all of the security measures provided by this new PSI bridge, decided that they felt comfortable with the security of the exam. But more importantly, they needed to be able to provide a way for our candidates to test safely. Um, all of the PSI centers are are cleaned and sanitized, but I don't I don't know. I 
I it, there would have an extra layer of anxiety that I might, you know, that I might not right. need while doing that test. So, so we just wanted to provide the option. Right. So previous to this, you could either do what we call paper and pencil exams. So maybe at USITT or LDI, or if you had a large enough group, um, you know, a, a, a union local had 25 people they wanted to have do the test, you could do a paper and pencil exam. You could also go to testing facilities. Um, the big one that everyone talks about is H&R Block, some of those locations yeah. you go. And, and you get sit down in front of a computer and uh, you take the exam via that terminal interface. So this new option is doing it virtually with your computer. However, they're using the technology of the camera and other things to make sure that you are not cheating. Um, and there's a browser lockdown. So yep. you, you can only, like, they will control your computer. Right. Wouldn't you yes. think that would be it? Yeah. If there's a browser lockdown. Oh, yeah. yeah. And depending on which test you're taking, there's different uh, different things that you're allowed to use or not allowed to use. Um, scale rule. Calculator. What, what kind of calculators, different information like that. Um, it is not an open book exam, so you're not allowed to have reference material. Um People ask or, Eth or Ethan Gilson in your ear. Exactly. Um, on the the rigging side, we you do get a uh, an equation sheet. Um, so you're provided certain information. That's what you have to use. Uh, you take the exam, and and with luck. And those have. formula sheets are on our website too if people want to look yep. at them ahead of time, because I know that uh, even though uh, that is certainly not my bailiwick, uh, the, there are formulas there that do the same thing. It's just that you want to choose the one that you're used to or the one that serves your be you best. Is that right? Right. Yeah. It, it, different. That's the way Rocky said it anyway. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting news that now we're going to be able to have people uh, take the exam uh, from a, a safe environment and have it be reliable. And it should be mentioned that PSI, which is the organization we used to uh, develop and to administer the tests, they do all types of certification exams. Um, Nursing, healthcare, uh, real estate. So um, we're, not, we're, not, we're not the guinea pigs. Um, right. Well, which, and uh, talking to our account manager and, and researching this over the last few months, the um, she was saying that the uh, those programs saw a huge burst in activity because you get the people who don't want to take off a whole day from work to go test, you know, cause if the test is three hours, you've got to make sure you get there early. Uh, you know, you might need a milkshake or a cheeseburger after because you're so stressed out. And then, you know, as I've had some people have to travel a couple of hours, three hours to right. test, uh, especially right now with 
the limited number of centers. And those those won't reopen and we won't be able to offer paper and pencil exams until PSI headquarters is reopened. Exactly. Uh, so uh, I actually did jump up and down when this came through. Like I literally squealed and jumped up and down. Well, it's very exciting news. Well, it is. It, it, you know, I mean, think about the touring community too, you know, once that gets back on its feet. Yeah. You uh, could be on, you could be on the road and, and as long as you have that three hour time available, you can find the appropriate space. You can do it. You well, all you need is a, a, a big road case, right? With yeah. a little lap desk and some soundproofing and then you're good to go. You could test in the, you know, during Hamilton backstage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of which, Hamilton, Disney Plus. Yep. Uh, July 3rd. We're very July. excited. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be uh, probably uh, the highest, I use the term, rated uh, content of theirs since Mandalorian was released. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, um, but yeah, so people will be able to apply on the 19th. People can begin online testing on the 20th. Now, you do have to make an appointment um, because there are only a certain number of online proctors. And, you know, and each of them are watching, you know, I think uh, four people at a time. So you do still have to make an appointment. You can't just say, oh, I think I want to take the test today and expect to take the test. Right. So uh, hopefully, no, we are. We're going to have our online uh, applications, fingers crossed, ready to go by, uh, by the 19th. And, uh, but we are offering first our we want to let our people who are in the system know, you know, people who are already candidates are already right, paid their, you know. right uh, to get them going. So, yeah. So that is it, brother. Exciting news from the ETCP. Absolutely. And as usual, I will put a bunch of links in the show notes for this episode with the ETCP uh, website, with some helpful information. Essa's has got a great resource page. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So there's lots of good stuff out there. Yep. And obviously, if there are questions that people uh, have based on listening to this, I highly recommend jumping onto Facebook and asking on the ETCP study group. Or send me a message. She's always very responsive and uh generally extremely helpful so she she's helped me numerous times and sometimes sometimes nice i I think it's more than sometimes (laughs) all right my friend well thanks for checking in with glenridge new jersey etcp and thank you for helping me announce this exciting news i'm i'm ready to rock it i'm i'm expecting a tsunami yeah, well, thank you for being on the podcast and, and and having some amazing breaking news that I get to share with everyone here, and I really appreciate it. So All right, thank you I can't much. wait to see who you have on here next. 
Uh, we got some good guests coming up. None as good as you, but oh, I'm sure no. they'll try. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, keep the pin in the shackle. Son, you know your father was a rigger. A rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be.